It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. If you were a regular on Chicago's indie rock scene in the 80s and 90s, there's a good chance you ran into this one dude. He sported long, wavy hair, sometimes wore a pink dress, and he had a bulky tape recorder he used to record shows. And this guy, he inspired one listener to send in this question. Whatever happened to the taping guy who used to tape shows and hang out at the Metro, Lounge Axe, and Double Door in the 80s and 90s? I'm Curious City reporter Monica Eng, and it wasn't hard for me to find out who this taping guy was. I just asked my colleague Jim DeRogatis, and he knew exactly who I was talking about. Adam Jacobs. Adam was a fixture at shows at Metro, at Lounge Acts, wherever uh, he could go with his tape recorder, capturing live sets and being a record of history. You may be practicing the pub, what's your wife think of that? As far as why he did it and whether he got permission, well, I recently heard some great stories. And even though Adam got in trouble with some club owners and musicians, in the end, he managed to create about 10,000 live recordings. Recordings that capture a moment when Chicago was an important incubator for a growing indie music scene. Here's former Lounge X co-owner Susan Miller-Tweedy. What Adam has is really, really priceless. He is a living archive. So who is this guy, Adam? And whatever happened to his massive archive? I recently tracked him down on Facebook, talked to him for a couple hours on the phone, and finally visited him at his home on a quiet street in Hermosa on Chicago's northwest side. Hi, I'm Monica. His first floor is packed with shelves of CDs, albums, movies, and books, with more in the attic and basement. And he and his girlfriend moved in just a few months ago. I couldn't have visitors in my old apartment. It was like a, a hoarder lived there. In this new place, he's got a whole room devoted just to the stuff he's recorded himself. Brown boxes of cassettes and discs are stacked like Jenga blocks from floor to ceiling. They hold thousands of live recordings. Early shows from Liz Fair, Flaming Lips, Smashing Pumpkins, and Stereolab. first to admit he had an obsession. And he says it all began when he was just 16 and a student at Evanston Township High School. The year was 1984, when a friend told him something that would change his life. He told me that uh, you could sneak a tape recorder into concerts and make recordings of the concerts that you're attending. At first, his equipment was pretty modest. I borrowed my grandmother's mini cassette recorder and made fairly lo-fi documentations of maybe a half a dozen shows before I bought something a little bit more decent. And by a little bit more decent, he means an early Sony Walkman with a built-in mic that I used here to tape a New Order show. No one really cared what you walked in with. And I didn't make a whole lot of effort to hide things either. I just would stand there with the recorder. Eventually, he started using proper mics and a tape deck, a big, chunky thing with slots for cassettes, the kind that was part of home stereos in the 80s. 
it was pretty big. There were times where I was bringing that tape deck on the train in a suitcase. Uh, it was quite heavy. So with all these different devices, Adam cruised through the 80s, befriending bands, taping their shows, and often giving them a copy. But the teen also got to know club owners, who miraculously let him into pretty much any show he wanted for free. One was Susan Miller Tweedy. She first met Adam in the 80s when she was booking a club called The West End in Lincoln Park. I let him into the club to tape the bands because he really wanted to. He was very, very enthusiastic and very into it. And yeah, I let him in. Underage. Later, she became co-owner of Lounge Axe, and there, Adam just seemed to become part of the furniture. It's mind-boggling to me that he taped shows at any other clubs because I feel like he was there every night. But he also spent a lot of time at Metro in Wrigleyville. Here's club owner Joe Shanahan, who said they became friends. I also was a fan. I received any tape that he made at Metro. I think I may have gave him some money for blank tape once in a while because I thought... He's a great kid, and and he was documenting the scene. I I really loved the fact that he was this archivist. And his archiving was usually cool with everyone. In 1989, he even got to record Nirvana's first show at Metro. You can still watch it today on YouTube. But then there were times when he didn't get permission. There certainly were times where I was doing things Um, without people knowing, by hiding a recorder under a shirt or whatever. I I didn't like doing that. I try not to do that very often. But then in 89, my obsession for recording got out of hand. And there were times where I should have left well enough alone and walked away when ultimately I didn't and got myself in trouble. That's when Shanahan ended up banning Adam from the Metro entirely. The two don't agree on all the details that led to the expulsion. But Adam says it all started when he was goofing around in a tour bus with the punk band The Meat Puppets. And they were getting kind of crazy. And they decided to take the spaghetti that they didn't eat for dinner and throw it on Joe's car. And I was laughing with them. Where, in Joe's mind, I should have been running inside the building and say, Joe, the Meat Puppets are f***ing around right now and you need to get out here. And that really upset Joe. So that was the spaghetti incident, strike one. Then there was the Bob Mould incident where Adam set up mics without asking. Someone ratted me out and I was was asked to leave. And finally, there was the mud honey incident where Adam was caught out on the Metro fire escape with a tape recorder. And for Shanahan, that was the last straw. He didn't get permission. And I felt a little betrayed because I considered him a friend. I regret him feeling that. I don't want to hurt anybody. I never did. And that betrayal caused me to stay out of there for for six years. Eventually, influential supporters like Flaming Lips manager Scott Booker would convince Shanahan to let him back in. By this time, Adam was in his late 20s, and his collection already included stuff like Uncle Tupelo's Chicago debut at Cubby Bear where Susan Miller Tweedy would meet her future husband, Jeff Tweedy. He also had tapes of early Smashing Pumpkins in a solo Liz Fair playing to just a handful of people at Lounge Acts. Shanahan said Adam got really good at making recordings, expertly blending the soundboard with ambient sounds from mics he set up around the room. 
And that's a tricky thing to do. So he had a really good audiophile ear to create like, like sort of like a, maybe even a post-mix that he would make sure it sounded good. Quality got so good that bands like Sonic Youth, Yola Tango, and Wilco even released some of his recordings on their albums with modest compensation. And in 2002, legendary punk band The Mekons even hired him to record them at the Fireside Bowl in Logan Square. Here's Mekons frontman, John Langford. Yeah, I went to Adam. I'd heard some of his stuff that he'd done. He'd given me tapes of what he'd recorded. So we basically commissioned him for that. And then about, about half the tracks that he recorded that night ended up on an album called Punk Rock. Despite these occasional paying gigs, Adam says he was never in it for the money. Although a lot of people kind of thought I was, a lot of people thought that I may have had some ulterior motives. But I think that time has shown that I've had none. I did this because I I had to do it. I I didn't know I had to do it before I started doing it, but as, as time progressed, it's what I had to do. But this obsession came at a personal price. His home became cluttered with mountains of recordings and gear to the point where it was hard to move around. My living conditions were not conducive of a a sane person. And his relationship suffered too. I did have a relationship that kind of broke up because of my obsession with music. She's like, I don't see you and I'm because I'm running around seeing pavement. I'd rather have these recordings of Pavement's first tour of the Midwest than have had that relationship, which I really don't remember very well at all. Today, he slowed down. He goes to fewer shows and rarely records. When I started and throughout the 80s and 90s, nobody was doing it. And now anybody can do it to some degree of quality. My obsession is is not as important to posterity as it once was. He's also rearranged his personal priorities. I have a partner who does not appreciate clutter at all. And the relationship is more important to me than amassing more things that I may never have a chance to enjoy anyway. So what's going to happen to his tapes, discs, and files full of Chicago music history? I'm going to die someday, and God only knows what will happen to it after that. I certainly hope that it can go somewhere before I die. But I certainly don't take advantage of it myself. So it's just sitting. I don't know its future. I really don't know its future. (sighs) I hope it finds a home somewhere where people can really appreciate it and take care of it. Other people who are part of the scene feel the same way. Again, Susan Miller-Tweedy. He has something that nobody else has, and... You know, I think about it and wonder what's going to happen to it. And yeah, it used to be on tape, which could be disintegrating. I hope he figures out a way to get it all further archived so it stays forever. It's really priceless. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. I'm Monica Eng. Hey, if you're still with us, I want to tell you a little bit more about our question asker. 
The voice you heard reading the question, that was the voice of Ray DeRose. She wasn't the original question asker. That was her late husband, Rob DeRose. He sent in the question in 2016, but passed away the following year. We called Ray to ask if it was still okay to use the question, and to ask her what might have inspired it. She told us that back when she and Rob were dating, they went to a lot of these shows and would often see... The taping guy, because he was always there at all the shows we went to, and kind of would just see him regularly as a fixture, and always thought it was pretty cool that he was recording a pretty cool moment, I think, in Chicago music history. She said that Rob would love that we finally got to his question. It is so funny when you reached out, I had no idea he had... um, you know, send that question to you. And, and I'm thinking about way back when Curious City started, not like it's 100 years ago, but there would be things that we would hear and you'd be like, that's a great question. Like, I remember one of his favorite questions was about blacksmiths at the park district. But we, he used to say, he's like, I've got a lot of questions. And, I, and I'm just kind of laughing because I never knew he even sent that in. We only wish we could have gotten to Rob's question when he was still around to hear it. Ray says she hopes Adam Jacobs finds a way to preserve those moments that were important to her and Rob and so many other Chicagoans. The true recorded history, which I think is just remarkable. And that's, you know, that's kind of what Rob and I used to say. is like, well, I'm not sure if I was there, but I know the taping guy was there. <laughs> the taping guy was always there. Thanks, Rob. And thanks, Ray, for sharing this story. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.